Hello, I'm Jennifer Palmieri, here with my co-host, former Senator Claire McCaskill. Welcome to another episode of How to Win 2024. It's Thursday, October 5th, and we're going to dive right into the nonstop chaos on Capitol Hill uh, with Kevin McCarthy's historic, non-historic term as speaker. And Claire, you know, I worked for President Clinton. I was part of the original shutdowns in the 90s. I saw the impeachment of President Clinton. I saw debt limit showdowns and government shutdowns with President Obama, where it just seemed like there were very high stakes, but it still felt like the institution would figure it out and function at some level. And I don't like, do you have any sort of analog in your experience of the Senate for this week? Yeah, I'd, I'd never seen anything quite this dysfunctional. I mean, my memory is still very acute about when we had the financial meltdown in the fall of 2008. Um, right. It, it And we had this meeting with Ben Bernanke and Paulson, and it was all of the senators in a room. And for the first time, I realized that people who were running the financial sector of our economy were scared. They were really, really frightened. And it was a moment where we all felt like the institutions were going to fall away and there was going to be a real problem. And the reason it's so vivid in my memory, that chaotic moment was because I watched everybody come together. I watched John McCain and Mm -hmm. Barack Obama as candidates for president both do the right thing. I watched us come together with legislation that did the right thing, you know, after a false start, but we eventually did it. This week was the opposite of that, 180. I kept thinking they will do something that will get these people together and that McCarthy would figure out he didn't have the votes and negotiate something, a, a successor, anything. Um, So this is a new apex of a party being, frankly, not capable of leading, just not capable. And I really do think that Trump is to blame for this in that he has set a model, like leadership matters, people respond to leadership, and he has set a model at the top of just winging it blowing out any kind of norms or traditions and just playing for the next day. I was talking to a Democratic member from the Problem Solvers Caucus on the day of the vote uh, to oust him before it happened. And he was like, I don't know, Kevin may figure it out because here's the deal with Kevin. Kevin's like Trump and that all he cares about is winning the day. And he continues. And, you know, Democrats, we care about the institution. We care about long-term outcomes. And like, He's always going to beat us in the short term because he is willing to do whatever he has to do to survive the day. But he is not willing to put in the work to build a long-term consensus, which you need to govern, which is like when you talked about with 2008. I mean, that was in September of 2008. John McCain and Barack Obama were (laughs) two months away from a general election and came together to support something. And McCarthy is just using the Trump model Bad model executed poorly when it comes to McCarthy. And in terms of like how to win 2024, McCarthy shows that eventually collapses around you. Now they're in a situation of incredible dysfunction. I think it's not great for the Republicans. I think it is bad for the Republicans in terms of their ability to hold on to the House. It's also not awesome for House Democrats or the president because we want the government to function. We don't want to be in a situation of facing a, a long-term shutdown, which we could be because 
imagining how they get something together by November 17th to keep the government open is it's hard to. But at any rate, uh, we're going to talk to Congressman Mike Lawler, who's a Republican congressman from the 17th District of New York. He beat a Democratic incumbent, Sean Patrick Maloney, who was also chair of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. He knows a lot about how to win. You know, he's in a tough spot. Biden district. Biden won his district by a lot. And this week, we're going to split our spotlight segment. After we talk to Congressman Lawler, we're going to be looking at the Republican woman who voted with the Crazy Caucus, one of the eight, Nancy Mace, and what in the world she was up to. And then also, we're going to look at the brand new senator from California, Senator Butler, who was appointed by uh, Gavin Newsom this week to take Dianne Feinstein's place. So, Let's dive right in and welcome Congressman Mike Lawler from the 17th District of New York, Republican. Welcome. Thanks, uh, I've been paying attention to how you're doing in Congress. I know that you are someone who will vote with the Democrats. You voted with the Democrats to avoid a debt limit showdown. You voted with the Democrats to pass a funding bill over the weekend to keep the government open. I even had a thought, hey, maybe the Kevin McCarthy House is functioning relatively well. And I could see how these bipartisan votes are helpful to Mike Lawler. And now we have the chaos that we have. You've had a lot to say about the Republicans who voted to oust him, but also the Democrats that didn't step in to uh, save McCarthy. Just tell us how you see this week on both sides and where you think we go from here. Well, I think uh, obviously my eight Republican colleagues and, and there's a handful more that, you know, otherwise would have voted for this, but for various reasons did not. Um, but the reality is uh, they undermined the conference. They undermine the institution and frankly, undermine the country. The American people elected, whether people like it or not, the American people did elect a House Republican majority to govern, to serve as a check and balance on the Biden administration. Uh, and the reckless spending that occurred during the first two years, $5 trillion in new spending. Uh, they elected us to fight to secure the border and work on the challenges pertaining to that. And unfortunately, all of that work just got torpedoed uh, by eight people who chose to partner with 208 Democrats uh, to remove a duly elected Republican speaker. I don't expect Democrats to go save Kevin McCarthy. Uh, mm -hmm. But when they say, you know, we believe in democracy, we want to pr protect our institutions, and then you team up with Matt Gates of all people, mm -hmm. who most Democrats believe is unfit to serve in office uh, for the express purpose of removing a Republican speaker, because you know it's going to give you a political advantage, or at least you hope it will. Um, you know, I, I find that a little hypocritical for then Hakeem to put out a statement and say, House Democrats are going to continue putting people over politics. Really? But, I, yeah. I mean, do you think it is to Democrats for political advantage that this happened? I don't think more chaos is good for the Republicans. I don't know that more chaos is good for anybody. I don't think it's good for the country. I, I think this is honestly one of the most destructive things I've ever seen in politics. I've been doing this yeah. for 15 years. I started as an intern for John McCain back in 2008 and, you know, went on to work in the state Republican Party. I served as executive director. I've run statewide campaigns for, for governor, been a consultant, I've been a lobbyist, I've been a state elected official. I think and in New York, where it's not easy to be a Republican, right? So you you've had to be a sort of middle of the road 
you know, moderate, common sense Republican. On reasonable. They want rational. They want common sense. This is the most irrational thing I've ever seen someone do. It's obviously self-inflicted when you have eight Republicans uh, joining with Democrats to do this. But, you know, at the end of the day, you needed all 208 that were here, Democrats, to vote for this. Otherwise, it never would have happened. So the Democrats, the reason I raised this as a point, they can't say, oh, we had nothing to do with it. (laughs) Well, you did. You voted to remove the speaker. So... And I get why. And I'm not suggesting that they should have saved Kevin McCarthy. But when you're when you're playing with Matt Gates, don't sit here and lecture about MAGA extremists and preserving democracy at the same time. Doesn't work. Congressman, first, huge respect for your victory. I certainly understand what it's like to run in a place that is not really friendly having spent my career in a state that at times was purple, but is couldn't be redder now. I, I certainly understand that you are trying very hard to stay focused on the people of your district and finding common sense solutions and common ground. But, you know, I got to tell you, the, the people who played with Matt Gates. That was really Kevin McCarthy who played with Matt Gates. He gave Matt Gates everything he wanted, including a rule that allowed Matt Gates to do this to him. And that was the Republicans' decision that it was worth it to capitulate to this extreme faction. And frankly, it it's hard for me to hear somebody blame the Democrats. And you're not blaming the Democrats. I want to be really fair here. But Kevin McCarthy didn't even ask the Democrats to vote for him for speaker. He bragged about not asking them to vote for speaker. So it's kind of hard when you say eight Republicans joined with the Democrats. I would say eight Republicans, because of what Kevin McCarthy did, decided to take down Kevin McCarthy and the Democrats did not stop it. And I get your point that if this was about the institution and only the institution, maybe it would have turned out differently. I have some practical questions for you. This rule that brought the institution to its knees, what is the path by which that rule goes away, that one member can do this? Explain that to me. This this motion of AK was the rule of the House for over 100 years. And when Nancy Pelosi became speaker uh, back in 2019, she changed the rule. And that was one of the the squabbles with the squad. They changed the threshold uh, for the rule. She was smart to do that. Another smart move by Nancy Pelosi. (laughs) Totally, because no speaker should have the proverbial gun to their head by any one person. You govern with a majority. You govern with a majority of the majority. And that's just the way it has to be in order to build consensus. If one person could torpedo everything, or in this case, eight people, that obviously creates chaos. There's no question Kevin McCarthy made a deal to bring that threshold back to one, which, as I said, was the way it was for over 100 years before Speaker Pelosi took over. The reality is we were not given a large majority. We were given a majority of five, and we had to to make decisions based on that. I don't think anybody would have liked to go to this threshold of one, but in order to elect a speaker, in order to elect Kevin McCarthy, that was the deal that had to be made. Now, I think going forward, as we go through this process next week, 
I think it's imperative that that rule change. And how does uh, that happen? How does that happen? We're going to have to have a majority to change the rule. So when we agree on a speaker, as part of that, my feeling is, and I know many of my colleagues share this feeling, that threshold needs to change as part of that agreement to elect a speaker. We would have to bring it to the House floor and have a vote on the House floor to change the, the rule. The full House, the full House. The Democrats would have to vote for that. Correct. They could vote against it if they so chose, but I would hope everybody would understand this is not good for the institution at this point. So the Democrats will have to help change the rule because you, you're going to still have that faction that's not going to want to do that. Right. I mean, I assume a majority of the Republican caucus is not going to want to repeal that rule. I would say a majority of the majority definitely wants to change the rule. Vote to do that? Will they say that publicly? No, I think a lot of people will. I I think this has obviously been an extremely unfortunate situation, both for the country and the conference. Uh, And I don't think anybody wants to go through this ever again. Will an agreement to keep the government open be part of your decision as to who you support for speaker? And what do you think the chances are that you end up with a speaker that as part of his election to speaker or her election to speaker, she promises that she will not keep the government open, he or she? I don't think that's a reasonable promise that one uh, can or should make. I was very clear throughout uh, the debt ceiling negotiations and here during this last few weeks that we could not default and we could not shut down. And I would do everything in my power to make sure that did not happen. I was part of an effort on Friday night to make sure that we had a clean CR on the floor on Saturday to vote and, you know, ultimately keep the government open. I think whoever the next speaker is really just had their hands tied behind their back by these eight folks, because the reality is it's going to be very difficult to finish the appropriations work by November 17th. And when I say finish the work, I don't just mean pass it through the House. I mean, pass it through the House, the Senate, do their work, conference, pass it and get it signed into law. They have torpedoed this effort, despite that being the you know basis for their removing the speaker. So I think whoever comes in as speaker is really going to have a difficult time getting this done in, in that time frame. And I think we're going to have to recalibrate how we handle this. Uh, I think it's imperative that we get this entire uh, process completed uh, by November 17th. So uh, how that goes about, I think people are going to have to recalibrate uh, their expectations based on where we are right now. So if there's a meltdown next week and there is no candidate that can get the number of votes needed to become speaker, Would you be part of a group that would be willing to work with the Democrats on a compromise moderate speaker that would rule from the middle in a more equal basis? You know, I think there's a lot of people that are very upset about what happened here. I'm a member of Problem Solvers. There's 32 Republicans, 32 Democrats. We met the day of this vote. I think a lot of people are very frustrated that Others within that group couldn't come to a consensus on on how to handle this for the betterment of the country. So I I think the reality is that the speaker is going to have to be chosen out of the Republican conference. The speaker, the, the American people elected a House Republican majority. Yes, there's infighting. Yes, there's a lot of anger right now. But we're going to have to find a path forward. 
as I've said many times in politics, you don't have to like each other. You don't have to be best friends. You don't have to go to dinner, but you do have to work with each other. And I think that's what the American people expect. So the Republicans are going to have to come together next week and at least begin the process. I think it's imperative that we don't leave the room until we come to 218 and that we come up with a consensus. That wasn't a no, right, Claire? I don't think so. I didn't. I don't think so. It was not an. Out I think and out the problem under no circumstances, and right. you know. So we'll see. And listen, Congressman, we really appreciate you uh, coming on. We know that you have tried. I, I think you've got a huge task in front of you as somebody who understands the realities of what your party faces right now. And frankly, if they aren't careful, then people like you that that won in Biden districts will, in fact, deliver the majority to the Democrats in 2024. That's how the Democrats will win 2024. So good luck. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks so much to Representative Mike Lawler. Up next, Jen and I are going to give our own take on this week's winners and the fail on the trail. And then we're shining a spotlight on Mike's colleague, the Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace, who has us totally confused, and I think she's confused about who she is and who she wants to be. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So we have heard Congressman Lawler's take, and now I want to hear from you about fail on the trail, winners and losers for the week. Lots of fails. Well, that's pretty obvious what the fail on the trail is. Uh, it is the Republican Party at large. They have now cemented in many Americans' minds that they cannot lead. Uh, they can't keep a speaker. Every speaker they've had has been run out of town. You know, I mean, think how different it is. Nancy Pelosi was speaker until she said, no, it's time for me to go. Uh, this, is, this is the only speaker uh, in, a, in a long time uh, that hasn't been run out of town. So I, I think that is going to have a big impact on particularly the House races in 2024. This will now mm-hmm. be, as you know, Jen, this is going to be mm-hmm. a huge part of everybody's campaigns. It's going to be. They can't function. They can't They govern. can't function. I mean, it's sh- they, they can't keep the lights on. They can't do the basic government functions because they are so busy with their performative politics, trying to go viral with some kind of crazy thing. And this is all going to be under the umbrella of Trump leading the parade. So I, I just think you, we have to give the fail on the trail to the Republican Party. And, and what do you think about the biggest winner? Well, I think Hakeem Jeffries is the biggest winner. And, you know, when Monday night came around and we found out, oh, wow, this is actually happening. Gates has filed this motion. This is going to happen. I thought, I bet, you know, Jeffries is going to lose some Democrats. The Problem Solvers Caucus, which Congressman Lawler is part of, um, bipartisan group, I thought some of those folks are going to go to vote to to save McCarthy. And then I was on the Hill for 12 hours on Tuesday, and I talked to a lot of moderate Dems, Problem Solver Dems, and They were just like, no, we are united. Democrats are united. And first of all, we know how valuable it is to be united when we are facing kind of MAGA extremist threat. And I'll note that, you know, what did happen in the House this week, you know, there's a great parallel argument in President Biden's speech in Arizona last week about 
protecting democracy and fighting MAGA extremism. This, this is the kind of dysfunction he's talking about. So like that all loops back around in terms of how to win in 2024. And, but they said, you know, not only did McCarthy not reach out and not only was he snotty to them after Democrats voted to keep the government open with him and kind of felt like they bailed him out. Um, but they're just like, we can't save Kevin McCarthy. House Democrats cannot save the Republican speaker. And they just have to figure it out themselves. You know, and I heard that from Melissa Slotkin, a moderate Democrat who's running for Senate in Michigan. You know, just everyone was just aligned. Like, we, they need to decide who they are. This is their problem to solve. And then what I thought was really smart was the next day, after this happened on Tuesday, Wednesday, Jeffrey's very sly little tweet on his part. House Democrats are committed to a bipartisan path forward we simply need a partner willing to abandon MAGA extremism. I was like, oh, hey. Yeah, yeah. no, we, we know that what he's up to. make me an offer. This is yeah. not about making Akeem Jeffries speaker, but like, what do you think this is about? Well, I, I, I don't think it's going to be, would ever be him, but I think he is showing right. a willingness if somebody on the other side is willing to work with him. He's showing a willingness to work, which is smart. And, and listen, he he kept unity in the caucus at a time when it would have been very easy for people to split out and be heroes one way or another. And I, I, I really think the fact that he stayed quiet and waited for McCarthy to approach him and then did not do anything, kept everybody like wrapped up. Nobody was saying anything. All everybody was saying is we're going to wait for the leader. And then when the leader said we cannot save him because no one trusts him, he gave everybody a chance to vent about all the ways they didn't trust Kevin McCarthy, whether it's the impeachment inquiry or whether it's going down to Mar-a-Lago or whether it's the way he became speaker in the first place. Uh, He just really did a great job of what Nancy Pelosi always did, and that was unifying a caucus that does have differences of opinions. Don't kid yourself. They've got the same issues in the Democratic caucus the Republicans have in theirs. They just have stronger leadership and they're more capable of leading. And for listeners who are like, "Eh, you know, they always think that the Democrats are winning. (laughs) Donald Trump has made Democrats great. Okay. (laughs) Like, the Trump years have made Democrats, like, we got to be on our game and our leaders, like, understand the threat they're under. And they're just, you know, it is like the dire times have made them great, as dire times do. So we got to change the slogan. It's not make America great again. It's make Democrats great again. That <laughs> is right. what Donald Trump has done. That we need is to get, what Donald Trump has done. We yes, need to get blue, made Democrats great. We need to make get blue hats uh, <laughs> that say make MDGA, make Democrats great again. Thank you, Donald Trump. Thank you, Donald Trump, for making Democrats. Seriously, right? Like the leaders now are just so sharp in Congress, in, you know, the governors. Everybody knows it's on the line. It's really hard to win. They understand what the stakes are. I just really do think that he has made Democrats sophisticated, sharp, hardworking, targeted, killing it. Okay, this week we're going to split our spotlight in two because we think it's a tale of two spotlights. The first is Nancy Mace of South Carolina. And let me set the stage here. Nancy yeah. Mace won in 2020, beating a incum- an incumbent Democrat by the skin of her teeth. She barely yeah. won. Fast forward, the South Carolinian Republican Party decided to gerrymander and make her district more Republican. So in her reelection in 2022, the closest race she had was in her primary. Not in her general. So she won she general is, by 14 points. 
Correct. Which are barely escaping by. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, but she. But I think in, in the primary, she only won by like seven. So yeah. she is now clearly not principled, clearly, you know, somebody who ran as a moderate and somebody who just wanted to get things done for folks. She now was in the basement with Steve Bannon yesterday and Matt Gates. Literally. I mean, we were- <laughs> I, I, I mean, this is now a basement dweller. And in one field, there's swoop, an actual basement on Capitol Hill where that Steve Bannon operates out of. And she was in the basement with Matt Gates and Steve yeah, Bannon. Her besties. Her new besties, Steve Bannon and Matt Gates, give me a break. How in the world can this woman sleep at night? What she doesn't understand, I don't think she understands this. People who have been there longer do understand this. She is a marked woman for the rest of her tenure in Congress. No one will trust her. No one will want to work with her. They all know that she did a cheap political trick to try to make sure she didn't have a Trump MAGA primary. And, and by the way— by, by, all, voting to oust, by, yeah, by voting and, to oust McCarthy. And yeah. then she tried to pretend like it was, oh, he broke his word on abortion. Give me a break. You're in the Republican Party. You know what your party has done to uh, abortion rights in this country. Don't act like now you get to behave like an idiot just because your party is against women having a right to control their own bodies. So can you tell I'm fine? I, I mean, I'm just, I'm done with this woman. This is a good point that you made, clear that people may not realize is that even in politics, honor among thieves, trust matters. Like the fact that like Republicans will think, we can't trust you because we don't know what you're going to do next. Democrats know we can't trust you because we don't know what you're going to do yet. There's no there's no intellectual consistency in what you're arguing. You're just trying to protect yourself. And that's what killed McCarthy too, is like Democrats thought they couldn't trust him and Republicans thought they couldn't trust him. And, you know, it right? I mean, Democrats, me. even with Republican speakers, Democrats want to know there's some, like, degree of integrity. Like, when the when there's a crisis, we can count on you. And they just didn't feel that way about McCarthy. And it, it particularly pains me when I look at women like Nikki Haley, who's obviously yeah. very smart and very talented, who can't decide who she is. And yeah. Nancy Mace, who's obviously very smart and very talented and can't decide who she is. And then Elise Stefanik, at least Elise Stefanik changed who she was and, you know, put on the Team Trump shirt and she wears it proudly and consistently. But Nancy Mace is going to try to have it both ways. And I got news for her. You do not survive that kind of middle of the roading because it's not principled. It's not based on what you really believe in. I mean, Elise Stefanik, I guess she survives. I don't know. But she may survive, although I talked to some Republicans who said that she will never be speaker because nobody trusts her because she was anti-Trump. And then she like went full bore pro-Trump and like they feel like she stole the spotlight. Also, some of this is gendered, obviously, you know. Yeah. Your turn now on the second spotlight. What about the new senator from California? (laughs) Crazy, right? Very unexpected. So the new senator from California is LaFonza Butler, who was the head of Emily's List, which is the biggest group in politics that raises money for women candidates. Governor Gavin Newsom appointed her and she definitely came out of nowhere. You know, she's worked in California a lot, been in California politics, but she lives in Maryland. She's out here in D.C. area. Really surprising. And people are trying to figure out what's the jiu-jitsu politics behind the scenes here. So let's talk about who actually benefits from Butler's appointment. There is a race for that seat up in 2024. Congressman Adam Schiff, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, Congresswoman Katie Porter, all competing for the Democratic primary. Adam Schiff is leading right now. And the question is, 
Butler has been appointed to this seat. She is a black woman. Will she decide to run for this seat? In which case, then all of a sudden, there are two black female candidates. There is a white female candidate. And there is Adam Schiff, a white man. And if you look at the dynamics of what's likely to happen here, does this maybe end up, if Butler runs, does this end up compounding support for Adam Schiff? Yeah, and I think we got to make sure that people understand that how to win 2024 in California, it is a jungle primary. It's a very different deal. It's a very different system because what happens is the top two vote getters in the primary are in the general. If you guys remember, it was Kamala Harris versus Loretta Loretta Sanchez. Sanchez. Both of those Democrats were in the general election. And Kamala defeated Congresswoman Loretta Sanchez. So the issue is who's going to go into the general? And I think that if she decides to run, first of all, she's not well-known. She doesn't have any name ID. To win that race in California, you're talking about raising $100 million. And it's not the same kind of fundraising because you can't go to people and say, well, if I don't win, the Republicans are going to take the seat. So you have to have a fundraising base that's calcified that you can draw upon. And the question is, does she have that? She ran Emily's list. But will the donors of Emily's list— But not for a long time. Not for a long time. Yeah, Yeah. and will they really go for her as opposed to a Barbara Lee or a Katie Porter or an Adam Schiff, all of whom are great on women's issues? So this is going to be interesting. Three women versus one man. Now we have two black women. One could argue that somebody who did this may have been wanting to help Adam Schiff. Don't know, but it's possible. We don't know, but it just may be that the person who benefits from this is Adam Schiff. But the California system is— crazy. I mean, Kamala Harris did not, yeah, she did not run against a Republican. So how you win in 2024 depends on where you sit. There you go. Okay. Well, and we're sitting where we got to say goodbye. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with much more. And we will continue to be reminding you how to win 2024. (laughs) The senior producer for this show is Alicia Conley. Jessica Schrecker and Ivy Green are segment producers. Our technical director is Bryson Barnes. Our audio engineers are Fernando Aruda, Paul Monzi, and Harry Colhane. Jamaris Perez is the associate producer. Aisha Turner is the executive producer for MSNBC Audio. And Rebecca Cutler is the senior vice president for content strategy at MSNBC. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts and follow the series. <laughs>